Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Good morning. Good to be back with you again. Appreciated the 38 degree weather with the 190 mile hour wind yesterday. That, that made me feel so warmly welcomed. Oh my word. Should have ordered some warmer weather. I noticed Steve Good went back and got more coffee because he knew I was preaching this morning and I appreciate that so much. He said he'd had a rough week so he was already softening the ground so if I looked out there and he was passed out, it'd be all right. My wife knocked all my notes in the floor on the way here, but don't worry, Hope, I did it again right back there, so it's, it's on me. Thank you for letting me be with you again. Um, I appreciate an opportunity to preach. The people in Ukraine are, have been very much on my heart. It's hard for me to watch the news or listen because we were there in 2003 helping build a basement, and I can't, I think every time I hear that there are probably people huddled in that church basement this morning, hoping they're going to survive, hoping their country is going to survive. In, o, in Odessa, I wasn't on that trip, but they built a baptismal pool inside the church that they kept covered up with a sheet of plywood and I can't help but think, too, that there are probably people there where the pastor, a Japanese man named Masato Funakoshi, who loves God. Whew, that man loves God. And God's using that Japanese man and his wife, Mickey, to grow the church there in Odessa. And about 15 days ago, they took some of the some of the wives of the guys who had been called into service and the children and they went west. And they're in the mountains west and north of Odessa right now. I remember Masato because he did a, a, a missions conference for us and the missions conference was great. The messages were right out of God's word compelling us to reach people. And it all came down to one question on Sunday night of that missions conference from a Japanese guy who was a missionary in Ukraine. And this was his question. Are you ready for God to use you? And he just slowed it down and made the point very clear. Are you ready are you ready for God? Are you ready for God to use you? And none of us like to be used. But in the economy of God being God, Christ being our Savior, as those who name His name, our response needs to be, yes, God. I'm ready for you to use me. As one fellow said, I'd rather be a peon for God than a president for anybody else. If his own son was a servant and a suffering servant at that, 
Are we too high and mighty to claim that title of servant and be glad about it? For we are his and he is ours. And that is right that we should serve him. So with that, I want to draw your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. While you're finding 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'd like to give the background. It's found in the book of Acts as the Apostle Paul was there. Let me read while you turn to 1 Corinthians 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them because he was in the same trade. He stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. There were a lot of tent makers in Corinth because there were a lot of transient people in Corinth. And instead of the Olympics being once every four years in whatever city, they were every other year, the Isthmian Games were there every 24 months. And there was always something coming, always something going um, event-wise. And there were always people coming and going in Corinth. So tent makers is a great place for them. He stayed with them and worked, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. There was a synagogue in Corinth where they would have at least ten men and a copy of the Scriptures as they knew them, which was at least the Pentateuch, and they would go and sit and talk about them. And Paul, as was his custom, would start there. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the Word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And we read that he did. And in Corinth, there were a great number of Gentiles. And come to find out that there was a guy who had a school near his house or a big room. And he said, Guys, why don't y'all meet here? It was right near the synagogue. And if you read, there were leaders in the synagogue that came to know Christ as a result of this visit. And from that visit started the church in Corinth. And there's a lot of very interesting stuff on the internet. One guy in particular, a pastor up in Massachusetts who has visited there, who walks through the various archaeological indicators of what was going on in Corinth. And it's fascinating. But this morning, I, I won't, I'm not laying out a series. I'm just going to one verse here in context, reminding us, calling our attention again to why we are here. And as I have prepared, I've thought about people in Uganda where spent some time teaching people how to understand and apply the Bible. And in New Guinea, where Hope and I lived for six years, people who were illiterate, but they loved the Lord Jesus Christ, and they knew the gospel well. And they were God's servants. And people with whom we served from Germany and New Zealand and Australia and England and India, people who left their homes to serve God in those places. So Paul writes this letter 
1 Corinthians. It's about the longest, it's one of the longest epistles that he wrote. An epistle is a letter, but it's a letter with a purpose. And he makes a general appeal in verse 10, but I want to introduce it verses 1 through 9. So I'm going to read this passage, and I'll pray with you, and then we'll begin. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'll be reading from English Standard Version, I think. After being with those kids, I have no idea even where I am right now, so... I've had 13 opportunities to lose my testimony just this morning. And Hope said I successfully did it one time, but I I just... Uh, Congratulations to everyone who has children who is here this morning. Congratulations to everyone who stayed married another week. Not because your spouse is so awful, but because it's not easy. I just feel like we ought to just stand up and just clap for everybody all the time. It's amazing that we actually got here. Okay, 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 10. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him with all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we've met to come under the teaching of your word, the authority of your word. And Lord, we need you there. We love it there. When we are under your authority, we have such confidence, such boldness such security. We do not feel insecure when we are knowing and doing and loving your will as you have revealed it here. So I pray this morning for your church in this place, God, that you would do your work in us and to us so that your work might proceed from us to a world that needs you, to a brother or sister that needs you, an encouraging word. Help God, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Sixteen chapters, 437 verses, with a large number and a wide variety of problems. Sticky, tricky, sometimes icky problems, all in the church. They had received the gospel, and Paul says, hey, 
I'm here. By the will of God, I have been called. And we're brothers. And not only that, but I want to extend grace and truth to you, grace and peace to you, because that's what we find in Christ. And then he talks about, he affirms them. First of all, he affirms there is a God. God has a will. He's called me to himself. He's called me to be a sent one. And he's called you. And he's called us. He uses the word our and us and brothers. He uses it because he's building on that affinity that we have as believers in and followers of Jesus Christ. He makes that very clear. And it's a general appeal that he makes. He affirms his place amongst God's people and the familial relationship. I mean, we've been in places in the world where people name the name of Christ. I can't speak their language. They can't speak mine. But truly, we are brothers and sisters because of Christ. He makes that plain. He affirms their place among God's people, and he also affirms the fact that, hey, God has worked in you. In verses like 4 through 9, he recounts it, says, you know, your testimony has been confirmed. The gifts that were present in that first century church, they're all there. You guys are full of knowledge. You are full of wisdom. Your testimony is solid. You're waiting as a church of people for the revealing of Christ. Either we go to Him or He comes to us. So He affirms them generally. And God's purposes are very clear because the structure of, these pass of this passage is clear. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and his brother, even thou, even there, he says, our brother. He's being very inclusive to the church of God that is in Corinth. Who does this church belong to? He appeals to them. It belongs to God. This is God's church. And you're called to be saints. We are called to be saints. And we are called together. Not just the Corinthian believers, but all believers. We are called together with those who are in every place, and then it changes to present tense, who call on the name of the Lord. There are Ukrainians calling on the name of the Lord this morning. There are Ugandans. There are people in Alabama. There are people even from Arkansas who are calling on the name of the Lord. Some of those people have poured into and impacted my life. And in that way, as we'll see as it reads in the King James, when the Apostle Paul says in King James English, say the same thing. They were saying the same thing to me as a boy in a church, in a church in a community who reached out to people that you would not want in your church, but that God wanted in His family. And I'm so grateful for those men and women. A carpenter. One of, them. One of them had a barbecue restaurant. One of them worked at a refinery, an oil refinery, but then he had his own muffler shop. Those men who said the same things that are being, saying, that are being said here, that the Apostle Paul said. God exists. He has a will and a purpose for each of our lives. That is a factor of everyday life.
To have a collection of individual believers who name his name, well, that's a church when they're in the same place. We look different. We have different schedules. We have different socioeconomic standing. And in Corinth, it was one of the few places in the empire that a man could go from a water boy to owning the water company. It was a great place for entrepreneurs because they would see something that needed to be done and suddenly this guy that you'd see begging on the side of the street was standing up a little straighter and his clothes were a little nicer. Next thing you know, he's got an apartment, right? That was going on throughout the church. All those changes. Of course, there's no changes going on in our world. Everything's just been the same for the last 20 years, right? The prices of things where we are in Alabama, one of the fastest growing regions in the southeast. We just shake our heads. We were looking at a house and we offered 16000 more than the listing price. They called us the day before they were going to take all the bids. And they said, we just wanted to check with you to be sure you were really serious. <laughs> I'm thinking, people, have you lost your mind? Well, yeah, they have. In that area of Alabama, things have gone wild. If I had a tractor-trailer load of plywood, I could retire. It's that bad. Things I used to buy for $13.25 cost over 40 bucks a sheet. That's crazy. So lots of changes, lots of upheaval in their world and in ours. But to pursue God individually is one thing. Then to pursue Him as a church where my little periphery or arguments, the little things that I'm really interested in, like the cost of shells, Rifle bullets. On the way up here, I pulled over to a place and bought some 300 Winchester short mag bullets for a guy. He said, I hadn't been able to find them for two years. That is a tangent that I could really get off on. I mean, y'all know what man bling is, right? That women have their bling, but men have bling. It's man bling. Like a Winchester Model 70 in a 7mm Winchester short mag with a 4 to 12 Leupold scope with a 120 grain bullet flying 3,450 feet per second. I can geek out on stuff like that. But that's not what we are to geek out on. We are to name the name of Christ. I remember being at T-Ball. Do they have this thing called T-Ball in Virginia? Please raise your hand if you've ever been to a t-ball game in Virginia. Do they have this? All right. When they play t-ball in Virginia and the dandelions are all cut down, there's no airplanes flying overhead and there's no cars going around and the kids are actually playing. Because if it's any of those three things, they're down here, they're up here, or they're doing that. I've seen a kid sit down, take off his cap, and take that dry red clay and just And then when somebody ran by between the bases, he spit on them. And that's just the kids. The parents. We need to put shock collars on all parents. It's awful. 
But do they, what do they say when the ball kind of gets hit and the play starts? What do they say out loud? In Alabama, there is a circle. The circle is around where the pitcher would be. There's nothing quite like 160 parents screaming and grandparents, circle, circle, circle. They're trying to get the kid who, who's been looking at dandelions, playing with dirt, spitting on the guy, looking at air traffic, to throw the ball to a circle so the play will stop. Are we that clear up in here? Where is our circle as a church? As believers in and followers of Jesus Christ, do we get off on peripheral issues? Do we forget that if there's another person who names the name of Christ, that person is my sister or my brother, and I am to relate to them in such a way that says, you are not the most important, but because you name His name, you are important. Jesus laid it out like this. Two great commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's funny in T-ball, but they got the right idea. That kid with little experience who maybe not, doesn't know how it's supposed to go, doesn't have the skills, doesn't have the presence of mind to stay put, just throw it to the circle. I contend, based on what the Scriptures teach, our circle is Christ. Have you ever been rude to anyone ever in your life? If you're like me, you would be quick to say, yes, I have then as the Scriptures teach us, endure a little bit of rudeness. And if you have to speak to it, speak to it gently. Or perhaps don't speak to it at all. Sometimes when I have been rude, I'm more aware of it than anyone. I'm just going, oh, you just need to stop. Let's give deference to each other because the scripture that we're focusing on, I beseech you, brethren, as it says in King James, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. I don't, there are so many people here I don't know, but if you name the name of Christ, what I should say to you is, you're my brother, you're my sister, and you're worthy of the dignity that comes as a family member in Christ. The verse goes on after it says that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you. Just refuse. A football team, if the tight end is fighting with the guard, they're distracted. A basketball team, a team that plays well together, they have all come under, those five guys, those five people have come under what it means to be a team. Those kind of teams are very, very hard to beat. Because their focus is so clear. 
Their role is so clear. The goal is so clear to those people when they come under what it means to be a team. And for us who name the name of Christ, when we come under His headship, His lordship, His word, we come into... I'm not going to put a young woman down because she's female. I'm going to do what the Scriptures say. If she's older than me, I'm going to treat her like I would treat my mom. If she is younger than me, I'm going to treat her like I would treat my younger sister. Even though I don't, I've never had a younger sister. We were just four boys. I know what that means. I treat her with care. I treat her with protection. I treat her with dignity. And if it's an older man, I appeal to him as a father. If I have something to say, I need to do it in a respectful way. And if there's a younger man, I treat him like a younger brother. Again, I've never had a younger brother. I'd hate to think that I treated younger men like my older brothers treated me, but I lived through it, okay? God calls us to that. If we are sober and we are serious, we can understand what it means to say the same thing. It's easy. We can understand what it means that, you know what? Being divisive is going to destroy what we are here to do. Let us refuse to be divisive. Let's bear with one another until we can get on the same page. You know, some days I don't even like me. So I shouldn't be surprised that someone else doesn't like me. That's the truth. I don't even like me some days. And other people are probably a little bit that same way. And if they're not, I'm probably not going to straighten them out. I need to respond to them in a kind way and in a graceful way and in a truthful way. But to respond to them and to make it about me and him, that's not the way. That's my brother. We're supposed to be family. The scriptures say, let there be no divisions. It's plural. Divisions. There's so many things that can divide us. There's been so many, it's just, you just get exasperated as a pastor of a group of people shepherding, a, do you vax or you not vax? Do you do the mandate or you don't? Do you wear the mask or you don't? What do you think about Russia and Ukraine? What do you think about gas prices? Just in here, it is supposed to be His Word above us, over us, and in our relationships to each other. He is to be honored. We are to speak truth, and we, we are to agree on the important things. I'm sure you've got some notes somewhere, and I think that's one of the points, but like I said, my, my notes have been so mixed up, who can know? <clears throat> there we go. Yes, God's Word calls all believers family. Brothers. And sisters, that needs to permeate how we treat each other. They say communication is 7% verbal, 38% tone, 55% body language. Look back over this last week in your interactions with those who name Christ's name. The 7% is usually the easiest part. 
it's also least indicative of what's going on in my heart. It's easier to say the right, to say truth, than it is to do truth. My tone at home, is it condescending? Is it impatient? You need to stop shaking your head back there, Hope. (laughs) We have been married long enough to get to the place where we are enjoying our marriage because we grew up. Can we please get over ourselves? The quicker we do that, the better life gets. Immaturity is the enemy of family. Immaturity is the enemy of marriage and not just everybody else's. The one, the immaturity I am responsible for, my immaturity My responsibility. That's so important. That will cut down on divisions when I address my own immaturity. It will cut down on yang yang. I don't know if you use that term here in Virginia, but I have a feeling that concept is alive and well in Virginia, just like it is in every other state of the Union. Just yang yang. Just... It's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. If it's important, then there's a right way to engage a conversation. If it's a peripheral issue, it needs to be labeled as such. God's Word calls all believers in Jesus to agree about what's important. And what's important is very clear. And God's Word calls all believers to unity. I have been reminded and a little bit surprised about how simple this is. Paul, relate to other believers as your family. Secondly, do not allow there to be division. To have division ensures defeat. What did, I think it was Abraham Lincoln say, but he was actually quoting the Bible, a house divided against itself, what? cannot stand that that basketball team with less talent who does not allow division will actually win more that may be a picture for us to consider the corinthian church had been marvelously saved these were people meeting in each other's houses they knew who was a good cook and that one's stuff always got eaten at the potluck they knew They looked after each other's babies. They knew which one was whiny. They knew the man or the lady who could take that child by the hand and that child would be okay. It's kind of like our grandchild. I mean, I didn't start it. Somebody else said something about me being a grandfather. So I can talk about it. So Conrad, if you know Conrad, he gets this face. It looks like he is knitting an Afghan for a king-sized bed. And I... I just call him out. I said, boy, you better get that off your face. (laughs) I said, that doesn't. I'm going to take you outside. And when I take him outside, that's all I do is just take him outside. Because that boy is ugly in the morning. He gets that face. 
quit being ugly, Conrad. I said, show me that smile. And he goes, <laughs> we, the point is, we can control that. Even someone less than three years old can control their attitude. When we're wrong, let us, let us be eager to say, I didn't do that right. And that's been part of us growing the marriage that we wanted, is I've had to look at hope and say, I'm trying, I've said, I am trying to do that right. And I, I don't know how. I've, at other times, I know I've done something in an incorrect way. And I've said, would you let me do that over? And she has graciously said 100% of the time. Yeah. Sometimes she said, but I'm going to need a minute. <laughs> it is life. Christianity is not something over in the ivory tower that we just check our brain in and get our brains massaged. We live with each other. The Scriptures call us to be family. They call us to stop division. And it happens on my side of that line. My job isn't to call you out and say, well, if you just... My job is to call me out. And if you had a room full of people doing that, there would be no divisions. And when we needed to have a discussion, more than a 10-minute soundbite, which we really do, we would actually have the grace and the platform and the latitude to listen to someone else, to learn from someone else what their perspective is. And then to begin to lead towards some type of conciliatory arrangement where it's not as important as you are saying, but it is more important than what I'm saying if something is actually important or perhaps we'll discover, you know what? That isn't even worth talking about. I'm sorry I made a mess of that. Would you please forgive me? And the scriptures are very clear about what to do from there. Do we say the same thing do we agree on what's important? Do we know where that circle is in the church to stop the yang-yang? It's Christ. I don't mean we need to be simpletons, but I do mean we need to quit being so complicated that we can't live. I think that's very clear in what Paul says. Because number three, God's Word calls all believers to unity. Corinthian unity was kind of a funny thing because in this metropolitan area, you had to put up with everything because everything came through Corinth. And it led to a culture of permissiveness. A culture where truth was not that important and they could say what we have heard. That may be true for you, but not true for me. But starting at the beginning of this book, it is clear that there is truth. That there is a God that He has a will for each person, that He has a will for His church in general and for His church in particular. Wherever we are, this is very clear. God's Word calls all believers to unity. The question is this, not does He call us to unity, not are we family, not are there divisions and how do we handle them, do we have the spiritual stature at our age to do what God says do? 
And not even to do it, it's not an intellectual. Will we do it? Our will is involved. And Scripture addresses this. If, if a brother or sister is wronging you, it is so important that it's here in First or Second Corinthians, rather let them wrong you than bring about division in here. Does that mean God is for wrong? No. It means that unity is so important to Him that we have to work it out. And if we can't work it out, we may have to suffer until we can get it worked out. Friction gets a bad name. But if there is no friction, there is no traction. And if there's no traction coming from a redneck in South Arkansas, I've been stuck many times. Friction is a good thing when it's applied properly. When it's engaged, without friction, there is no traction. And once you get traction, if you are not careful, you may go a direction you don't want to go. Make forward progress from the traction that comes from friction that we have in the church body. Don't look at, ah, here we go again. There she goes again. There he goes again. That is so easy and so beneath what God calls us to. So beneath it. It is so much easier to talk about someone than it is talk to talk with them or to them. But that is where the answer is. That is to what God calls us. And in the world, when they look at us, if we handle things like that, if we handle things maturely between ourselves, they will be drawn to that. Because that is the right way to handle conflict, friction. Is to address the people in that circle. And that means me and the person I have conflict with. You have been instructed well here. I can tell by your songs. I can tell in conversation. You have been instructed well at Faith Community Church. And when you push in the clutch and put that church in gear, you're doing that with sisters and brothers. You're doing that in such a way that there is to be no division. That's one of the aims. Not, not say, oh, be quiet, we don't want division, but handle the friction properly so that there can actually be unity. It's a funny thing to get to this point in your sermon and not have any idea what time it is because my phone is at 1083 Handy Bottom Trail. I have no earthly idea. I don't see a clock anywhere, so I guess we can just keep going. <laughs> I mean, I got lots of notes. How long until we need to finish? Two minutes? Five? Y'all heard what he said. But in a room this size, it really doesn't make any difference. <laughs> I learned that a long time ago. If you're here, you have the power. Isn't that right? Friction without fellowship breaking. Can we commit to that?
Can we be strong and say, I may not like you and you may not like me, but I refuse to let that break our fellowship. Because you name his name and I name his name. You know the number one reason why missionaries leave the mission field? Because they can't get along with other missionaries. That is not just anecdotal, that is the truth. And it is a sad truth. It's wrong. There were people on the mission field from those countries I mentioned. They didn't like us and we didn't like them. Because our culture were di was different like it was in Corinth. Our languages were different and the way we spoke was different just like it was in Corinth. There were changes going on. Things were not colonial like they were back in the day. Things were very different in Papua New Guinea. When we showed up, even the, the locals came and they just got all around us and they said, you have black hair. Hope still does. I don't. You have black hair. Every missionary that's ever come to us has had gray hair. And this church is not full of gray hair. That means there's going to be different ways of looking at things. Can we get around Christ? Can we get back to that circle and say, this, this ain't the way it used to be, but it is the way it is. Let us move forward. That's going to be really important. Refuse divisions. Refute divisions without getting ugly, without being wrong, without quoting chapter verse and going, so there, without a bad tone, calm down. Again, in the words of Jed Clampett, don't get snatched up. Just calm down. Were you ever immature? Were you ever young? Did you ever have to learn? Yes. Psalm 133.1 says, Not only how good, but also how pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. People want to be around that. People want to be around mutual respect. And families, good families are built. Where the, there are roles, there are authority structures, but there is mutual respect. Come together, join together, engage relationship, refuse to disengage over peripheral nonsense in order to move forward together. God's Word calls all believers to our Lord Jesus Christ. He calls us to family. God calls us to bajar, I think is the word, to cut down in Spanish, to stop divisions and to move forward together. Get clear, get right, get biblical, get decisive about what's important moving forward. One fellow said it this week. It was actually a woman I talked to on the phone. She said, I'm just fine. She's going through horrible stuff. I just want to tell you that the things you pray about, you are not alone. The heartbreak and the heartache you've had, you are not alone. 
It has been a rough 12 months. Saying goodbye to my friend, Mike Whitehead with ALS. It's been hard. He's a great guy. He handled it like a servant of Christ. It was a year ago last month hoping I went to visit him. Handled it like a, a Christian Marine. And he is just a gentle, easygoing guy. I'm so tired of funerals. I'm so tired. A black pastor who's a friend of mine in Decatur, he said he has hosted 26 funerals in his church in the last 18 months. COVID has been rough on the black community. It's just heartbroken. We've got enough real heavy burdens without us creating them in here. Let's find a way to move forward and stay on track. I'm just fine so long as I stay in the Lord. That's what that lady said. <laughs> she, she had it right. I'd like to read a passage as a benediction and pray with you. Listen carefully to these words. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray with you please. Almighty God, we come to you this time this morning and, and realize our shortcomings that we have not had the stature at times, the humility at times, the fortitude at times, even the desire at times to preserve unity, to be quick to call each other family. to be clear about the same, saying the same things at the important points as delineated by your word. So help us, God, I pray. Forgive us where we have been short, catty, immature, irresponsible, and have excused our nonsense. Help us to be responsible, God. You've loved us so, and you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. So help us, I pray, to engage you personally so that together we can engage who and what you've called us to be together as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.